Today you've joined hundreds of established and emerging writers who are discovering ways to reach their writing goals and have fun by being more curious, creative, and productive. You're listening to Ann Croker, Writing Coach. This is episode 185, an interview with poet Tanya Runyon. As you'll discover in this conversation with Tanya Runyon, She's experimented with being a screenwriter, a playwright. She's written several nonfiction books, including How to Read a Poem, How to Write a Poem, and one for college-bound high school students called How to Write a College Application Essay. But Tanya thinks of herself first and foremost as a poet. Her poems have appeared in many publications, including Poetry, Image, Harvard Divinity Bulletin, The Christian Century, and St. Catherine Review. She's also published several poetry collections. Tanya was awarded an NEA Literature Fellowship in 2011. When not writing, Tanya plays fiddle and mandolin, drives kids to appointments, and gets lost in her Midwestern garden. Enjoy learning about all the ways a writer can write as you get to know Tanya Runyon. Tanya, you do a lot of different writing. It's very clear from your bio. Which of these writing identities do you most identify with? Uh, poet, I would say, is, is the one I identify with the most, even yeah. though it's not necessarily what I've been spending most of my time doing these days, but my, my identity is wrapped up in poetry mostly. Tell me why. Uh, probably because most of my publications have, this is a very straightforward answer, but until uh, now, most of my publications have been in poetry and um, it's a genre that I always kept coming back to um, in high school and in college. It, you know, I wanted to be a screenwriter. I wanted to be a, a playwright. And I, I did some fiction writing, but I always came back to poetry. Even in high school. So it goes all the way back. Yeah, but it's, it's, the, last, uh, it's the last genre that I really spent time writing. When I, when I started writing as a young child, I wrote lots of stories and lots and lots of plays. So I came to poetry later. I, you know, I, I didn't write much poetry as a young child, um, but then uh, it it kind of stuck. And throughout my adulthood, poetry is what I feel like is really at the essence of who I am. Although I um, it, it I write in other genres, but I feel like my identity as a poet informs and influences those other genres that's interesting mm-hmm. and in what way well so one form of writing that i've been spending a lot of time on the past couple of years is digital content um for a small to medium size companies so i write web page copy and i write a lot of blog posts for companies a few press releases here and there, but but mostly um, blog posts and articles for com- uh, for companies and web pages. And um, I I realized that poetry and that kind of writing are not at odds with one another. In fact, I have found they really complement one another really well because poetry is all about condensing language and the um, efficiency of language and audience and emotion and when you're writing for for businesses and you're given um the you know the company i do most of my work for they're really good at outlining 
the audience and, and who they are and what they're like and what they value. And so um, tailoring my language to a certain audience, a certain emotion, and trying to do that in, a, in an efficient manner, um, I find has been easier to do because of my background as a poet. That's so interesting yeah. that there's that crossover. It seems not at all that they would go together. Right. And yet now that you explain it, it makes a lot of sense. What's your training as a poet? Um, well, I got my undergraduate degrees in creative writing and I emphasize my emphasis was poetry. We had to choose an emphasis. And um, with a second kind of like a minor in theater. So I, I was really throughout college still trying to figure out the playwriting part. Um, and then I have an MFA in creative writing and, and that's purely poetry. Nice. Nice. And where did you get your MFA? MFA, I got a Bowling Green State University in Bowling Green, Ohio. Neat. Neat. And then you got this NEA uh, fellowship. Tell me, is that something that anybody can apply for? What is this about? Um, can the average person apply the average writer? <laughs> well, you, you, ha you have to have, um, you have to have a history of publications. I don't think I'm trying to remember now. Um, I don't think you necessarily have to have a collection published in order to apply, but you've got to have something, you know, to list, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's the kind of thing where you, you apply yourself, you're not nominated for it, you apply yourself, and it's a really uh, painstaking <laughs> process. And my um, one of my undergraduate professors, she's a wonderful poet named Moria Simon, she encouraged me to apply for it. And she said, and I said, you know, my chances of getting that are like zero. And she's like, well, she said, Never mind that. You just need to get in the habit of applying for these things. Like, don't even think about whether you think you can win it or not. It needs to become second nature for you to apply for things like this. Um, and so she highly you know, encouraged me to do it. And so I did it. And then when I was told that I got a fellowship, I really couldn't believe it. <laughs> um, so that that was a really nice boost to my poetry writing career. That's so great. It looks great on the bio. What was the fruit from that fellowship? Time. Cause at the, you know, a, a lot of people when they get an NEA grant, they might, um, you know, they might take a semester off of teaching or they might take, um, research and travel trips with, with the funds, with the phase that I was in, um, in 2011, I had a three-year-old six-year-old and an eight-year-old and so most of my funds I used on um things like house cleaning <laughs> and um people to babysit you know my kids so I can have more time to write sometimes um like a lot of just kind of daily life domestic sort of things that opened up time for me to work on a book project. So, you know, if I, if I were to get a grant like that now, of course it would look totally different, but at that time in my life, that is exactly what I needed was the 
the gift of time. That's so practical. And what book was the next one that came out as a result of that time? Uh, so it, it, it was the book Second Sky. And that nice. was actually what I put on my proposal for what yeah. I said I, you know, wanted a grant mm-hmm. for was to work on that book. So, and um, it, it worked. <laughs> the book was written. It sure was. Congratulations on that. And of course, some of your more recent recent releases. So what? Oh, and, and I also, this is very important. The very first thing I bought with my NEA grant was a Roomba. <laughs> to this yeah. day, I still use it every single day. And awesome. The NEA. Responsible for a lot of my writing. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, I, I, it sounds like you're you're the type who has explored a lot of different kinds of writing from the start. So it's maybe not outlandish that you then stepped into prose. What were some of the first kinds of prose writing you did? Did you get into this corporate kind of writing right away or did that come later? Tell me a little about your timeline. Yeah. So um, really I, I started writing prose about six years ago when um. I wrote a guest post for the Good Letters blog, which is um, Image Journal's blog. Uh, so I, I wrote a guest post, um, and I was just stunned by how I enjoyed writing that post. I, um, well, and I think before then, I'd written a few shorter prose pieces for TweetSpeak as well. I think before 2013, it was, it was around that, around that same time frame that um, opportunities like that started opening themselves with blog post types um, of writing where I, where I wrote personal autobiographical creative nonfiction or however you would call it. Um, And then the more I wrote those, the more comfortable I felt with that and then started writing regularly for good letters for in touch and just writing guest posts for other people's blogs and websites. So, um, and then the corporate type writing I've done now for three years, maybe something like that. So that's my newest foray. (laughs) I mean, that's more like the, the, the bread and butter, you know, I love doing it, but it's, it's, it feels different because it's, it's more immediate. Like I'm, I'm writing this article. It's due Tuesday. I put it on my invoice. Money appears. <laughs> it's really different from these like longer range creative projects. That, right. that I do. But how nice to be able to make money from your writing. Yeah. Would you say, I mean, this has become a, a career beyond just a literary career, but an actual, you know, financially stable career? It, yeah, I, I, I would say, I would say it is. Um, I, I've been a teacher. I've been a, I was a private tutor for many, many years. And a few years ago or a couple years ago, I decided to make the transition into writing full-time Um and I, I'm really glad I did. It was. It felt scary, but I'm glad now that I did it. Would you call it a part-time gig? Uh, well, you said full-time writer, so it's full-time. Yeah, but when I say full-time writer, I guess what I mean by that is I'm not 
I mean, there was a time when I was tutoring and writing and, and doing so many things at once. And I'm still doing a lot of things at once now, I guess. They're just all writing. <laughs> but I mean, as, as far as full time, I wouldn't say 40 hours because like um, family life, you know, all of my kids are in school. But for some reason, I feel busier now than I ever have. <laughs> like, with appointments and yeah. emailing teachers back and picking up prescriptions and getting cars fixed and that kind of stuff. I'm surprised how much time I have been spending lately doing those things. So, Sorry. <laughs> um, so every, every day is its own day. Like, so, so depending on that day, what kids might need, or if I have appointments or something awesome like this where I'm you know meeting with someone and talking about literature um I'll I'll kind of sketch out my plan for each day and some days it's only an hour of writing some days it might be five hours of writing and of those hours then how would you like percentage wise do you break it down and I don't mean like I need to know your your schedule but just If somebody's trying to build a writing life, uh, it might be interesting for, for them to hear how you've built yours and what it looks like, feels like. You mean, you mean like what percentage is corporate writing? What percentage is imag- more imaginative? Yeah, because it sounds like you're, you know, you've got this paid, the paid writing and then writing that may or may not be paid if it's more literary. Right. Um, I would say these days it's probably about half and half maybe I mean I mean like I said like I've had so many family things lately I I have kind of redone my schedule to try to make it more half and half where I um where I'm working on a one of my own book projects and then also um you know doing the the business writing um sometimes I just have to do something drastically different. Like I have a memoir, a collection of essays that um, I completed the the first draft of it um, back in, my gosh, I guess it's been, it's been almost a year and I purposely put it aside, um, had a, well, our mutual friend, Dan Bowman, I had him read it for me and give me feedback. And I've just kind of put some distance there, but, um, in March, uh, a few writing friends and I are going to go to Mexico for a week. And my primary goal during that week is to get this book ready to go. So the tweaks, the revisions that I still need to make, and then finding out where am I going to send it? Do I need to find an agent? What am I going to do? But, but that week is going to be it like I'm going to put all other writing aside and just focus and, and so, sometimes I do have to do something extreme like that like get out of the house go someplace for a weekend and really focus on something that's really good I have to a writing retreat just created by me to yes. serve a project and just get her done yes definitely what kind of advice would you give to somebody who is 
wanting to branch out, but maybe they're a little, like they're really comfortable and safe in the genre where they write. What, what kind of advice would you give them since you've obviously successfully stepped into other spaces? I would say do, do try to find some network and find opportunities to dip your, your toe in the water where it's uh, like, like for me writing those blog posts where it's someone who already knew me, invited me and we, and I was kind of able to try it out and get feedback from someone that I already knew well and I trusted. It was a, it was a less scary way to enter, you know, to make a transition. Um, and then I just let it build from there. So I, so yeah, my advice would be, um, try it, but you know, find, find an opportunity, um, where you can get an audience right away. Cause, cause if I'd started writing essays and, you know, sending them off to, you know, the New Yorker, you know, like, um, chances are I, I wouldn't get an audience or I wouldn't get an audience for a really long time, but it was, it was nice to have some kind of online outlet, you know, friends who have blog posts that have, you know, a good readership and to kind of get some real life, um, interaction with my writing right away. It gave me an idea of what worked, what didn't work, um, which wouldn't have been the case when I was first starting out and, you know, when I was in grad school in the nineties. So it's, it's, it's kind of nice that there are some ways to get immediate feedback and audience engagement. Um, so I would say test the waters that way. That's great advice. And I've heard that from others. How have you networked and how do you think others who are in various places in the world, how can they network? Well, um, many people know me as (laughs) I'm a major Facebook person. I mean, it's no secret. Um, You have to go what feels natural and and what works with your personality. I, I have tried Twitter and LinkedIn. I just, I don't know what it is, but those just don't work for me. Instagram, nope, not at all. It's funny. And then I know some people where Facebook makes them very uncomfortable and, and they barely go on it. Like my husband, I don't, I still don't think he's commented on my post about our anniversary on December 12th, you know, like, like some people, it's just not natural for them. So you find for networking, you have to find what's natural maybe it's not social media at all. Maybe it's just in person going to writing conferences, which I also really enjoy, but you have to find what's natural because the worst thing is it's really obvious when you notice people are trying to network, you know, and, and it it feels forced in like, I'm not on Facebook because I want to network. I'm just on it because it's fun for me, but that's where I've met so many writers and you know that I then I meet them in person at writing conferences, or I meet them at writing conferences and we connect later on Facebook. But anytime I've tried to network, it's it hasn't been fun. It's been stressful. It's backfired, and I just feel kind of icky. <laughs> so somehow try to be yourself and enter into the spaces and yeah, and, enter and, the spaces that are that are comfortable for you. Yeah, absolutely. But then just kind of stick with it and do make it a priority. Like, um, I'm okay spending, spending, I, you know, I definitely have boundaries and they're Facebook free times that I have, but, um, I just kind of, I enjoy it and I just kind of go for it and I nurture 
the relationships that I've found there. Um, and for me, it's really fun. I don't feel guilty about it, but I started feeling when I, when I started feeling guilty and going on Twitter and LinkedIn out of obligation, that's when I knew I shouldn't do it. In fact, I think I have like a hundred Twitter notifications waiting for me now. Many, <laughs> many LinkedIn messages and I, I've probably tagged you on Twitter. There's probably one from me somewhere. Oh, I no, I like, but the poor Twitter has just given up on me. I'll just once in a while I'll get an email that just says, "Did you know that you have 125 notifications on Twitter?" And I just delete it because I'm like, I'm so overwhelmed, I can't even look. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I hear what you're saying. Just go where it's fun, make it natural. But I like that advice to stick with it because yeah, if people. If you're sporadic, they may not. Oh, she just came in and left. This be like running into a party and then running out again. Right, or you'll see someone. They'll like suddenly appear. You know, when the book comes out or something like that, which I get it. Like when I have a book come out, like, yeah, I'm going to talk about it a lot. But but then they disappear after that. And it's like pe- people want to know about writers' lives, I think, not just that they have a book coming out. I think so, too. And and it's interesting. I've, I've talked to a lot of people who love Instagram. Like you just said, I don't really have, want much to do with that right. space. So I, you're right. I think you just need to find what works for whatever right. reason. Right. So what, what kind of writing have you discovered you really don't like at all? Um, well, I haven't tried it, but I can tell you that I would not like writing a novel. <laughs> okay. I, I would say, I mean... I, I have written some flash fiction off and on the past several years, which, which I've actually really enjoyed. Um, but anything that involves um, really forming any kind of a complex plot over a larger picture is really hard for me in the way my brain works. And that's, that's why I eventually um, stopped or, you know, went more toward poetry than playwriting because I would be working on these scenes and, and dialogue and, and I just got lost in the words themselves and the sounds of the words and the dialogue, but my plots were just so bad, <laughs> you know, because that part, I was just, it's really into the language itself. And, um, I think, writing a novel I honestly have no idea how people do it and I would never try it because I don't even want to because just the thought of putting something like that together um, is overwhelming to me fair enough how about your creative process do you can you even describe that um creative process with I, I guess it depends what I'm doing I mean, um, poetry, I tend to start off with a lot of free writing and, and I talk about the, about that a lot in my, how to write a poem book. Kind of, I, I start with free writing and I kind of structure and chisel and sculpt from there. Um, prose, the, the prose essays I write, I kind of just jump in, um, and I, I just, I do a lot of revising as I go. Um, yeah, nothing too exciting. <laughs> I do, I do like to write in the bathtub, but unlike Nabokov, I don't, I, I, this is something I posted on Facebook a couple weeks ago because I was so stunned. I'd always heard that Nabokov wrote in the bathtub, 
I thought he was taking baths because like I actually write while I'm taking a bath. Sure. And he just sat in the tub <laughs> to kind of get his own space. <laughs> a room of your own, a tub of your own. Yeah. Yeah. A tub of my, yeah, exactly. So, so I was reading about, um, I was reading, I just finished a book called process and I don't remember the author, but I, I, it's a great book that talks about several, um, famous authors writing processes, like when they wrote, where they wrote, how much they wrote. Um, and that's, that's where the bathtub thing. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever works. Yeah. (laughs) Do you have any advice for writers? Maybe, maybe advice for writers just starting out. Let's start there. Advice for you're gonna make me narrow it down it's like the poets uh, okay <laughs> advice for new poets let's start there advice for new poets um, I think when I've worked with newer poets it seems like they're consistently surprised by how much time I spend on my poems and how much time I think they should spend on their poems. And so my advice would be to slow down and enjoy the process. Um, I I went, I took a workshop with David Baker at Kenyon college, like back in 2006. And, and he kept, well, he, his mantra was, there's no rush. There's no rush. Cause you know, we like you, you want to write, you want to produce and you want to, publish and and for me I'm a very goal-oriented person so that's definitely my tendency but um you, there's no that really there's no reason to rush <laughs> you, you need to kind of give yourself to the process and enjoy it and um when you're working on a poem you should expect to spend hours and hours and hours and hours and drafts and drafts and drafts and drafts and not just write down what's on top of your head and expect that to be perfection or to be the end of it and and kind of like and people will say oh but that's what was on my heart and that's what I was feeling how can you criticize that and it's like well if you go to a concert or you go to an opera you know if the violinist comes on stage and hasn't rehearsed for the concerto and just kind of plays like well this is just kind of what I felt like today like that's not that's disrespectful to the art and to the audience you know like no, you expect them to practice. You expect them to be prepared. Well, same thing with writing. Um, I feel like writing gets this, or writers want to give themselves this free pass sometimes. Like the dancers and the actors and the musicians are practicing, 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 but a writer just feels like, hey, you know, it's what was on my mind, so it, it, it's good. Like, no, it's it's a craft. It's an art. It needs to be practiced. Don't you dare write one draft and expect it, you know, <laughs> expect it to be perfect. Like, give it the time that it that's deserves. so good yeah and what do you have any resources and i'll go ahead and stick with poets do you have any resources for them i i can think of one offhand maybe two <laughs> how to read a poem and how to write a poem <laughs> by tanya renyan yeah um, but any others uh, as well any other written resources? Yeah, or? just how to, like, is there a go-to source for poets that you feel like that was such a good core text to help me? So improve? someone asked me that question today, and I just kind of went with the gut answer of what's the book that I keep 
taken off my shelf. And one of them is um, the book, it's called Strong Measures. And it's, um, it's an anthology, you know, it doesn't really have instruction so much as it's just a really good anthology and explanation of forms. And I had that in a class in college back in like, 92 or something and I still take that book off the shelf all the time as we wrap up then I guess my last question would be do you have any advice or encouragement for writers and this time I'm not going to let you narrow me down to poets just any kind of writer from any walk of life yeah um I would say have something else creative that you do that you can turn to not only when you're discouraged or just tired of what you'd consider your primary genre or your primary art form, but um, something to just exercise your brain in a different way. Um, I, I love music and I play the fiddle and the mandolin and it's doing those things I, I think has been, you know, has been important to my whole writing life because it's, it's always been nice to have, um, it's it's kind of like like when a kid is having a really hard day and they're fighting with dad and then they run to mom or they or they you know then mom gets mad and then they run to dad. It's kind of nice to have someone else to run to. <laughs> and if I'm having a frustrating time with my writing, I can go to music and it's like you know at least I know how to do this and I can express myself this way right now and I can come back to the writing later or vice versa. Um, and. Also, I just think it's good to give our brains, to exercise our brains in different ways and to give our thinking, um, to kind of, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of like turn things upside down or, or or mix things up sometimes. So like this year I've started doing crossword puzzles, which is very unlike me. I'm not a puzzle type of a person, but I've noticed that there's, it really calms me and energizes me to be more creative at another time when I do something that's a completely different form of thinking about words. So I would say diversify <laughs> with your creativity and, um, and try different things. And of course, this is the, the number one cliche thing that writers say, but it's so true is you can't be a writer without being a reader and make time for reading, even if that means you're sacrificing the writing time. That's great. We can take that, that you can take that to the bank or whatever they would say. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Is there a place people could go to find more about you? Do you have an online home? I have. So tanyarunyon.com has kind of all the, you know, speaking info and the books and everything. Um, Facebook, uh, Tanya Runyon poet, which, which I just kind of, I, I ignored my Facebook page for a while and I'm just, I'm back to, to using that again, in addition to my personal page. Um, Facebook is probably the quickest way. <laughs> to find. <laughs> Fun. Um, yeah. So Tanya Runyon poet, I've, I've been going through my book, what will soon take place. It just celebrated its first anniversary and I'm just posting a poem every other day or so in order from the book. Oh, how fun. So that is great. Hopefully it won't backfire. You know, I guess people could just, you know, 
print off all those poems from Facebook instead of buying the book. But <laughs> try to give people a little little bit of a taste. That I don't sure like. wet our appetite, and yeah. it is nice. To, it's like having the sample out at the mall so we can taste test it yeah. before we go in. That's yeah, great. Yeah. Thank you for your time. Thanks for sharing a, a little bit about your experience as a writer. I think you will inspire a lot of people to try new things. Oh, I, I enjoyed talking with you. Thank you so Good. much. Thanks. Take care. Thank you for joining me for this conversation with Tanya. I will include everything Tanya related at the show notes for this episode. And you can get there easily by going to ancroker.com slash Tanya. And that's T-A-N-I-A. That's ancroker.com slash Tanya. I'm Ann Croker, cheering you on as a writing coach in your ear, everywhere we may meet, at my website, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, in your inbox, here on this podcast, over at Patreon, or even in person. I'm always looking for ideas to share with you that will help you achieve your writing goals and have fun by being more curious, creative, and productive. Thank you for listening.